Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfold, and you're listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Alejandro Canto, owner and Jesse Leach, general manager of Diego Payser in Washington. How you guys doing over there today? Hey, Tim. How's it going? It's uh, going fantastic. It's Alejandro joining here. Doing great, man. Jesse right here. Yeah, so uh, starting off uh, Monday going great. You know, we just had a successful Mother's Day. Uh, uh, me, Jesse, and some of the team members here actually spent Mother's Day together. Uh, uh, we did a nice little cookout and all that uh, since we're all away from our moms. But uh, it was pretty good. Pretty good weekend. M- Mother's Day, is that one of those times where you get a little spike in business? Uh, you know, uh, just about between any, before any holiday, uh, there's always a nice little spike. Um, but even Mother's Day on itself, we don't close here at Diego Payser. We, we, the only day we close is Christmas and Thanksgiving. Those are the only two days we close out of the year. So, uh, business was, uh, good as normal, uh, probably a little better than your average Sunday. Awesome, man. Well, I w- want to talk about uh, what you guys are doing over there. But uh, before we get into that, you know, give me a little about your background. I mean, I know you, Alejandro, you're 23 years old and, and running the show over there, man, which is incredible, man. Congratulations. So tell me how you got into this whole thing. Yeah, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. You know, the kind words always uh, awfully, always bring a smile to my face. That That's for sure. Um, you know, you know, Tim, if uh, to start it off, you'd kind of just have to know who I am and my background. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I was born in Spain. I moved to America when I was five years old. You know, I came with a single mother and my sister was just, uh, you know, it was us, us three. It was uh, our little team of three uh, with no one else helping us. And uh, we moved here when I was five. Uh, didn't live in the best part. We moved to Miami, Florida. Uh, lived uh, around Miami, Florida, multiple different areas uh, throughout our childhood, hopped around all different schools through elementary, middle and high school. And, you know, it was it was not having much growing up. You know, my mom definitely did the best and provided as much as she could. You know, she's a great woman, uh, nothing but respect and love to her. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, we certainly didn't have everything we needed, you know, and if uh, if if uh, we needed something, you kind of had to work up for it. So the mentality of, you know, going out and building it for yourself has been engraved in me since day one. If I ever needed or wanted something that wasn't a necessity like food, uh, then I was probably going to have to find a solution to go and obtain that because it was going to be readily available. So the that mindset that if you want something, you got to go out and get it, it's not given to you, has been engraved in me since very early on. And, uh, you know, I guess how did I get at 23 to own and be where I'm at today? I mean, I guess I could walk you down to I was in high school. I was a good student in high school, played football, wrestling, had a little side hustle going on, you know, fixing iPhones on Craigslist, fixing go pads, dirt bikes, whatever it could be, you know, anything to make a dollar at the time. And kind of when I graduated high school, I just didn't have any structure in my life. And I needed some guidance on what I was going to do. I, I was graduating. I didn't have, uh, I wasn't accepted into college. I couldn't even afford college at the time. And it was like, well, what am I going to do? And I had enough change in my pocket to sign up to EMT school. And I said, hey, why not? It's a good career. I could be a paramedic, become a fireman. You know, it's a good way to give back to the community. And it was a start. It was a start with some structure on what I could do to move forward. And uh, when I had signed up to EMT school, a great three months of my life. I said, hey, this works great. Let's do paramedic. Paramedic was a little longer. It was about a year and a half. 
ended up signing up to paramedic, paid my whole way through as well. Um, but as I was in paramedic, I really just got to understand my passion that, you know, those little side hustles I was doing in high school are really building uh, the basic fundamentals in owning a business uh, within myself. And uh, I just ended up by the time I was graduating as a state licensed paramedic in Florida, I was also opening up my first company and it was a therapy staffing agency uh, where we staff physical and occupational therapists. Uh, later on, uh, sold that within a year after operations for a nice profit and moved on to the auto industry where we owned a business uh, uh, to business wholesale where we wholesaled cars. And I ended up growing that company uh, so big that just shortly after I turned uh, 21, entering almost 22, I was getting ready to sell that company off and jumping into cannabis. And what kind of led that transition, Tom, was I was I was 21, entering about 22. I had expanded my attempt, my uh, my uh, car dealership lot, and I was getting ready to move into a bigger lot. That same time, Colorado and Washington had just become legal for cannabis. And I knew that if I was ever going to get into an industry that I could truly create something and become one of the great, you know, and really build a, a legacy and an empire, I knew cannabis was going to be it. I knew cannabis was going to give me that chance to build the dream I've always wanted. So I made the move. I sold my portion of my uh, car dealership to my business partner. I packed my bags and I left all my family and friends and moved 3000 miles away to Washington to start my dream. And, you know, I haven't looked back a day since now I'm 23. I'll be 24 in August of this year. And where we've progressed with the company is just quite outstanding. Uh, Tim, my, it truly is. My man, that's one of the craziest stories I've ever, I've ever heard from start to finish on this podcast. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. That's absolutely incredible. And I mean, <laughs> talk about an entrepreneurial spirit, bro. Like, my man, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, that's so, so, so why'd you choose Washington? You had other states available. Why'd you end up in Washington? Oh, man, you know, honestly, I'm one of those guys that listens to his gut feeling probably a little bit more than I should. Uh, you know, sometimes, it, most of the time it works out for my side and sometimes it doesn't, but... It was one of those, I really analyzed two states. It was Colorado and Washington. And mind you, at this point, I had older friends that I had seen already take the plunge and jump to Colorado, but none of them ever made anything. They never made anything happen. They ended up going there and just ended up working for somebody. I knew that I didn't want to just work for somebody. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, Tim, before I opened up my first company, I was probably fired from my first 15 jobs. I was never able to hold a job. I was late to half of them. So uh, I knew that, for me to be where I wanted to be, I could start off working for somebody to learn the ropes, but I'd quickly need a, a transition into the owner side of things. And uh, that's exactly what I did, uh, uh, Tim. When I moved down here, I started to learn the ropes. I had some basic uh, fundamentals in cannabis, but what I really did was I came down here, started catching up on the laws, on the legislation. I started learning the political side of this industry, and I started really informing myself on what is cannabis and what's the science behind this beautiful plant. And uh, putting so much focus and attention into that side of the industry really helped me expand my knowledge and start building what we have today, which is Diego Pacier. Um, so what really made the ultimate uh, deciding factor for me in between Colorado and Washington is kind of when I saw that uh, there was a little opportunity with Diego Pelissier and where they kind of needed a little help was in Washington. 
And it wasn't to be in the position that I am in today, Tim. It was nothing near it, actually. It was a lot, lot less. But it's one of those, you know, I saw a little opportunity. I jumped at it. I took it. I grasped it. And, you know, now where I am today, majority owner of my company, which, you know, we truly believe is an empire that is growing with, you know, massive potential. So, uh, again, it's just a little vision, a little opportunity. I jumped on it and ended up turning into something much larger than the thought could be. Well, and I want to talk to you about the the, the brand. Um, I've looked at pictures on, on the internet. Um, I've I've never been there. I I, I live in uh, Detroit, so you know it's quite a ways away. But but and it was it, it just jumped out to me. It was incredible. Like I'm looking at. I'm like, this is. Am I looking at a museum? And uh, a few <laughs> years ago, I I had helped uh, an individual in upstate New York open a high end uh, gallery. You know, with with the uh, bongs and you know five thousand dollar like snick pieces and and stuff yeah, like yeah. that and and it was a very similar concept except you, i mean you took it and i mean it's a whole other level when i look at these pictures so <laughs> so tell i mean tell me about the vision behind the brand first sure man so uh, you know the vision behind the brand is it's simple it's to build an internationally recognizable brand that offers access to safe legal and effective cannabis in a inviting and experiential atmosphere and uh that's the vision behind diego pace here so tell me about the business model like you bought the brand essentially like tell me all about that Cool, cool. Yeah, no problem. So uh, I didn't buy the brand. I don't, I don't own the. I own the brand in my state of Washington because that's the way our laws uh, tell us to do it. But there is a parent company called Diego Pelicier Worldwide that is publicly traded. They're a real estate company that holds the rights to the brand name and brand rights in all other 49 states of the uh, United States. The relationship is Diego Pelicier Worldwide is a a publicly traded company that's a real estate company and it provides the real estate to cannabis owners and operators such as myself. Uh, I'm a little bit different because this state, uh, you can't be licensing your name uh, from out-of-state companies, so I own all rights to the state of Washington. But other states that allow different setups will follow differently. For example, the Colorado operator, uh, Neil Dimmers, which is my counterpart down there, he licensed his name from Diego Policier Worldwide, as well as the locations for his four facilities down in Colorado. So uh, in my state, I own Diego Policier, I own the brand, and uh, what the way I got into it, I'll, I'll break it down for you. Uh, I ended up buying in uh, uh, to the company when it was uh, Jamin Shively and Peter Norris. Jamin Shively is the founder of Diego Pelicier, which if we actually date back, his great grandfather was Diego Pelicier, and the whole brand is built on him, which in the late 1800s, Diego Pelicier was born in Spain, appointed by the Spanish king to be the governor of the Philippines, Cebu, uh, which he grew hemp for the Spanish Navy. Uh, so great, great, uh, uh, a story background there. Well, you got, you guys, you guys share the ties to Spain too. That's really cool. I, you know, what's even cooler than that, Tim, is that when I sat down with Jamin and really got to learn the story of Diego Pelicier and this company that I was now getting involved with and becoming a part of, uh, it was so interesting to learn that Diego Pelicier was born about 10 to 15 minutes down the street from where I was born in Spain. <laughs> That's so gnarly. it's like, dude, it's super, super cool because you're talking about 130 years later, 
His great grandson was executive of Microsoft strategy manager for the last 14 years. You know, you're talking about a guy that worked just a couple steps underneath Bill Gates. He was that had direct access to Bill Gates for 14 years. A genius, you could say, developed this great vision for Diego Pellicier. Uh, and when we started to talk and, you know, here's this guy that I actually came here and helped with operations to really bring this into fruition. When we started learning about the brand and what it is that we're representing, it was just so cool to find out that Diego Pellicier was actually a lot closer to my blood than than uh, one would have thought. Uh, and it just happened to be that, you know, the guy was born 15 minutes down the street from where I was. So it couldn't be any cooler than a story like that when I was finding out, you know, it, it totally made me feel that, you know, the Lord blessed me and definitely put me in this spot where I am today. And it was meant to be, you know. Uh, I'm a firm believer that things do happen for a reason, Tim. So, so it was one of those real cool things to find out. So, one more thing before we 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 go into a break here, um, with with this brand, you know, and like I said, if you you know if you go and you Google this and and you know, t- tell me about the setup. Tell me about you know the the design process. Like like, take me through that. So I'll take you through through both. I'll take you through the the company setup and then the design. Um, if a state allows you to be vertically integrated, meaning that you could have a grow and a store, we would absolutely go that route. You, if we could, uh, if we could have on site hands on opportunity to control the quality of the product that's being produced and delivered and sold through our retail chain outlets. We would always love to have that hand and ability in. Sadly, the state that I'm in, Washington, does not allow the vertical integration. It's the first state to follow the liquor model, which has full uh, uh, a separation between the growers and the retailers, uh, which means there's three type of licenses in the state. You can either be a producer, which is uh, growing, or a processor, which is you know the guy that converts them into oils, extracts cannabis and the essential oils from it. Or you could be the retailer that's doing the actual sales to the consumer. Um, But it separates it. You can't do all three. You could either do the growing and processing or the retail. So the way we design the stores, it first starts with what what do the laws allow us to do? We want to be able to maximize uh, on what we're allowed and what we're not allowed to do. So that's how we usually come into uh, the vision and we first see, okay, what do the laws allow us to do? Uh, for, and I'll break it down for you in, in my state. Uh, the laws did not allow us to be vertical. So we said, okay, we can't be vertical, so we got to build an environment that's going to be welcoming and it's going to feel uplifting and it's going to feel energetic to the consumer where they feel comfortable and it's a place that they're familiar with. And when we started to look at other retail experiences, we looked at some of the top retailers, you know, Nordstrom, Apple, some of the guys that have really put the time and development into creating the right atmosphere, um, but still have a, a, a great sense of class and high end. And they've just been able to find that great breaking ground in between. I think Apple has really capitalized on that really well. And then from a retail perspective, I think Nordstrom's done a great job. So that's kind of, you know, when we sat down and designed the Diego stores, we try to keep those successful business models in our minds as we play the vision of how the store is going to be laid out and designed. And then once we kind of know how the laws are set up and what we're going to be able to do and what we're not going to be able to do, then we start entering the design process. Um, And the design process is kind of simple. 
in the sense that we've, we've already laid it out. We know that we want the same look, feel, and touch in all our stores. We want that consistency. So when we talk about design, we know that we're going to want to build something to Spanish feel. We want that old classic antique, but yet modern and high-end Spanish feel, look, and taste uh, to it. So uh, if you go to any of our Diego stores, you're definitely going to feel a Spanish taste in there but a very elegant Spanish taste there throughout all our Diego stores uh, where you can see fine craftsmanship of, of uh, machinery uh, to woodwork or shelving, uh, multiple items. So yeah, that's kind of the thought process that we bring in when we go to these designs. Hey, hey, I'm sorry, Tim. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of add on a little bit. Um, so, you know, specifically another way that the stores are getting built is also by region. You know, you got out here in Washington, you have a lot of water. So, you know, we really kind of want to add in some stuff that adds there. So you'll see like displays that have like, you know, beached wood and other various stuff. And then in Colorado, you have stuff like, you know, it's a, a major outdoor area. So it looks more like a very warm uh, log cabin, if you will, with the still same very very similar feel of the seattle store you know we we all do um have imported tile from spain um which is ran through both stores um we've got a much open wider ceiling than we do in uh colorado but in there you know you have that tin accent that you'd find over in europe to help tie in both uh stores and just the theme you know when we were designing a lot of this stuff we wanted it to be um not your typical uh store um, you know, when you when the markets were both opening up in Washington and in Colorado, it all had the exact same feel. It's I'm going to a place. There's going to be green and marijuana plastered everywhere. It's going to have that, you know, stereotypical stoner vibe. And that's where, you know, not everybody is a stereotypical stoner vibe. You do have people that you would never realize that wears a suit probably will outsmoke most stoners any day of the week. But you wouldn't know that. But because because of the fact is, is that they're wearing that fancy ass suit. We, you know, we gotta, you know, we wanted to take care of them as well. You know, as a brand, we are, you know, we'd like to say we're affordable luxury. We have everything from a guy who's driving around in a Maserati to the guy who's only got the Huffy, you know? So, you know, we, we, we that was the whole idea of the brand. That guy's got a nice Huffy though. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I want, I want to talk to you guys a bit more about the, the experience, you know, the, the customers, the employees. Uh, before we do that, we got to take a short break. This is Gontrepreneur.com podcast and TG Brandfall. This episode of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast is made possible by Name.com, a global provider of domain name, web hosting, and email services. Every successful cannabis business needs an online presence, and every successful online presence begins with a domain. From your website to your email address, a good domain is easy for your customers to remember, it looks nice on a business card or billboard, and it reflects the true identity of the project it represents. It's important to reserve your domain early on when you are starting your business, as you may find that the .com address for your preferred brand or concept has already been taken. If somebody has already purchased the ideal .com for your business, they might be willing to sell it, but if they aren't, you may have to get creative with one of the new alternate domain extensions, such as .co, .club, .shop, or even .farm. Reserve your domain name today at name.com slash gondrepreneur.
If you are a domain name investor or venture capital firm interested in acquiring or advertising premium cannabis domains, go to the Gondrepreneur Domain Market to browse a wide variety of names, including strains.com, cannabismedia.com, mj.com, and countless others. Discover branding opportunities for your next startup and learn about listing your premium domain names for sale at gondrepreneur.com slash domains, sponsored by name.com. Hey there, welcome back to the gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, TG Brandfault, here with Alejandro Canto, owner and Jesse Leach, general manager of Diego Payser in Washington. Um, so, so before the break, we were talking about the design of the shop and, and how you, uh, it was partly designed to, uh, appeal to a, you know, maybe a, an affordable luxury, as you said, uh, sort of customer. Um, but tell me, you know, what is your typical customer look like? And, and are people dissuaded or maybe even a little threatened by the high end nature of the shop when they first walk in? Absolutely, Tim. Uh, absolutely. That's actually one of the biggest, uh, surprises that most people have you know one of the biggest surprises when they walk in through our doors instant shock uh they're like my god this is so beautiful i did not know this was a cannabis uh uh, shop i thought this was a high-end jewelry store this is beautiful and then the people that did know it's a cannabis shop that were told hey that's diego place here that's a cannabis retail outlet those people are usually really shocked to see our prices and how competitive we are one of the things we focus on tim is you know, I'm, I'm a competitive guy, Tim. I played sports my whole life. I came from Miami. I got a little bit of a competitive bone. And I want, I want, I mean, I'm one of those, I, you know, I, I heard the secret to failure in life is trying to please everybody. And I'm trying to stop doing that, Tim. But I'm still doing that with my business. And I'm trying to please every customer that comes in the door and giving them the best damn price the state has to offer. And uh, I really hold pretty strong to that. I make sure that my competitors down the street are always more expensive than me, even though they're not providing nowhere near the same quality. And by the way, Tim, I'm not putting down any other retailer with this. I think all retailers are great. I just think some are better than others. And I do think we provide better quality products than uh, some of the other retailers do. But what I do know we do provide that they don't is a high-end experience at a much more affordable price. Uh, and that's really where we pride ourselves, Tim, is it's we know we're giving back. Uh, we like to say that Diego Pellicier is your store uh, and the, as in the consumer store. And we want you to feel like that when you're in here. Um, but what we came to notice was that if you know, you're paying an overpriced price, a ridiculous price out the door, you're not going to feel that way. And you're not going to feel like it's your store. You, you know, you're just going to feel like, well, you know, that was nice, but I don't need to go back there. And that's not what we wanted you to feel like. So we've made sure that, you know, we've scanned the area up and down left and right to make sure that the prices you're paying at Diego are, if not the best, in the entire state, not just region. So uh, that's something we take a lot of pride in, uh, Tim, in how we've uh, set up the store and how we've been able to meet those uh, uh, price points. Another thing that, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna piggyback on that one as well. Another thing that we offer that you won't find a whole lot of in the industry is actual fantastic customer service. Um, You know, I've done, you know, I started my career in Denver. 
moved out here to Washington not too long ago, uh, learning a lot about Washington. And one of the things that you'll notice, the biggest difference between our places and compared to a lot of other places, our staff comes out on the floor with you. It's a one-on-one experience that a lot of people don't really get. A lot of people are set up behind a counter. You have a barrier or, you know, some places they even stand above you. And, you know, even as a consumer, that can be very intimidating. You don't have that connection with a store that we provide and that's the biggest thing that our big uh, difference is. It's just customer satisfaction. You know, I mean, if you go in and look at a lot of our reviews, you'll see how many of our um, employees have been name dropped, you know, all over Leafly. And they'll tell you it's one o'clock. Uh, it's all about the customer service. You, you know what it is, Tim, to, to bring it together and just bring that alone to flourishing is that we take the black market edge and anxiety out of it. When you're at some of these pot shops, you you, you know, uh, the way I've looked at some, they make it all dark and discreet. You're standing behind a counter. There's a representative of the company standing over you, kind of like towering over you behind the counter, kind of hurrying you up like, hey, what do you want? And as a consumer, you know, not everyone's highly educated in this industry yet. And we got to bring that knowledge and that light and shed it onto our people and provide them that knowledge and teach them about the product and show them that this is a better alternative than what they've currently been using. And, uh, and you know, Diego has really brought that uh, uh, possible. It's it's taken that black market feel, you know, when you used to, uh, I'm not sure if you did or not, but if you ever, you know, bought cannabis or weed off, maybe someone in the street. Never, at point, not uh, once. It, it, not once. Well, thank, thank God, Tim. I can, I can say it, me too. <laughs> you know, but it makes you feel, you definitely felt like, fuck, I'm doing something bad. My God, I shouldn't be here. You know, you, your heart starts beating. You get all sweaty. Uh, and, and it's not a good feeling, you know. It's like, oh, God, that, that didn't feel so good. When you're at Diego, you don't feel like that. You know, you feel nothing but luxury. But with affordable prices, that's the, that's the best part about it. You know, you feel just like you're at a jewelry store. Yes, ma'am. Hello, sir. How can I help you? Nothing but respect. Uh, 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 and, and that's the difference, Tim. That's the difference. And you, you know what it is, Tim? It's one of those. I could tell you about it all day. But if you came and checked it out and experienced it one day, which I know you will, you're going to see what we mean. You're going to feel it. You're going to walk out of here saying, damn, this is my store. This is where I shop. And you're going to be proud when you say that. So you've described two different customers. You've described, you know, the older customer in the suit and the tie and, and younger customers. Um, yeah, Alejandro, you've said that you feel some younger customers are turned off by celebrity branded products. And I mean, you're right in that young customer, that 21 to 25, you're right there. Um, why do you think uh, that's the case? So, Tim, I could, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a few answers because I, I can answer this with different perspectives. I can answer this as, you know, the young cat in, in the neighborhood that, He's just giving you his opinion. I could answer it as a professional that understands the industry and has a high IQ in cannabis and could explain to you why some of those celebrity brands aren't as special as they're made out to be. And then I could answer your first question, which was why do some of the younger uh, uh, crowd not prefer the celebrity branded products? And, you know, let we'll kick it off, you know. I'll use an example to start it. Yeezys, super popular shoes. Every kid in life wants one. Very limited, cost a ton of money, right? But at the end of the day, Tim, they're not very different than the pair of Nikes, right? They both get the same job done, right? Except one costs maybe 80 bucks, the other one costs like 800. 
Same thing with weed. At a certain point, once cannabis gets to a certain level, I understand that there's certain genetics and there's certain strains that are found in very small portions of the world and they're very high and they're very exclusive. And I get that. But what makes ultimately makes the differences between these strains uh, besides their growing characteristics is going to be the terpene profiles in them. At the end of the day, the THC found in one piece of weed versus the THC found in the other is the same cannabinoid, and there's no difference to it except the potency that it provides. But what makes a difference between flowers and indicas and sativas is the terpene profile and the flavonoids that's in it. That's what makes up the characteristics of these plants, which, by the way, Tim, as we start to know a little bit more about weed, THC isn't the only thing getting us high anymore. It's, it's actually the terpenes and how the terpenes react with our body and the cannabinoids such as THC and CBD that we're ingesting. And that's what really stands out in, in weed. So when we come to understand and really appreciate weed and the quality for it, and we come to understand what is the differences between them, we start to see that there's really nothing special behind these branded celebrity products. It's just a celebrity that found a really good strain, liked it, endorsed it, and now it costs twice, three times the price. So, you know, Tim, celebrity products are good because they bring brand recognition and people feel safe and comfortable with the product. And it's usually a product that's gone through uh, rigorous R&D testing to make sure it's going to be product de delivering the desired effects that the consumer is looking for. But, Tim, I'm going to be honest with you. I can give you the same exact bud that's probably going to be a little cheaper on, uh, from a different brand that they're doing the exact same process. They're putting in the same amount of hard work. They sourced out that same exact really special rare genetic strain that you know they're, they're growing with super soils and, and different regimens than others are. They're producing great bud, but just because a celebrity hasn't endorsed it doesn't mean it's any less better or good. It just means it's gonna be more affordable. The moment a celebrity endorses a product, guess what? They're getting a piece of that pot. And now that product needs to get more expensive. So I think with the younger crowd and the younger consumers that uh, need to save a little bit more money because they're running on tighter budgets and, you know, and it, it's, it's not because anything's just because usually they're younger. They haven't jumped into their, their career yet, right? They're, they're not making the, the amount of money that they'll probably be making once they're 30 or 35. Those guys are a little bit on a budget. And as they become informed, they start to realize that, hey, this celebrity branded stuff isn't really no big of a difference than the other stuff that's available on the shelves. Now, you know, I'm not going to get carried away with that, Tim, and say that they're all the same. That's not true at all. There's a, a very big difference in the quality of buds. But what I am saying is that top 5% of buds, that top 5% is pretty much all the same. You know, it's, it, at a certain point, it becomes very difficult to say, okay, well, is this one that much better than this one? And does it really justify the 2x price difference? And that's where... I think the younger generation is starting to catch on with all the social media and internet access that we now have a days. And I think they're starting to catch on saying, hold on, wait a minute. This is the same stuff just packaged in a different packaging and you're charging me a whole lot more for it. And do you, I, do you yeah, find cannabis consumers to be like younger cannabis consumers to be more well-informed uh, than their older counterparts? You know, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll jump in on this one. Um, to be honest with you, I think it all really depends. Um, it, it all depends on you as the individual. There are people that will come in here and all they care about is the highest THC 
for the cheapest amount of money they can get period you know um or you're gonna have like the people that are like us where we are looking for specific phenotypes we do want a certain terpene profile um there are a lot of little cannabinoids in there that really does make a difference you know and it's it just kind of comes down to educating the consumer and that kind of starts with your bud tender you know and and at the end of the day the bud tender is the one who's going to dictate the market because anybody who doesn't know anything about marijuana you know one of the first questions that they come in and ask is well what is your favorite and if as an educated butt tender you're going to be like well i either have you know no i'm just going to use marley as an example i have marley's blue dream here or i've got this you know other marley's or another blue dream but it's from uh let's say triple crown both of them are uh blue dreams but because they're phenotypes are completely different they're going to be completely different blue dreams so i can either sell you a name or i can sell you a legit blue dream you know and that's what it kind of comes down to it, it, it would you know just to wrap it up on what jesse said on that tim all it is is a celebrity name printed uh, uh on a different packaging and they're charging you more for it it's not it's it, you know uh, I don't want to. I don't want to disrespect any celebrities, so I don't want to mention any celebrity products because I have a lot of respect for those guys and their art. Uh, you know, but I'm not disrespecting their art uh, at all. I'm just saying how I feel about third-party advertising. This is just how these guys make extra money, and I'm not putting anyone down. But I am being honest to my industry, and uh, I'm letting you know our people know. Hey, guys, there's really nothing special about that product. Let's say. Let's say there's a famous person, and we call him Sharpie, rapper Sharpie, right? We all know the rapper Sharpie. He's very famous. Uh, we all listen to his music. He's all over iTunes, right? I'm just using a name. I'm making up a name just for examples. I don't want to disrespect anyone. Yeah. So, you know, now we got this uh, Sharpie Kush, and Sharpie Kush is all over LA and all over Canada. I mean, all over uh, Washington and Colorado, and it's the firest budding town. Everyone has to have it, right? And you walk into my shop and you're like, hey, Alejandro, I need to get that Sharpie Kush, man. I heard it's out of this world. I'm like, hey, Tim, I got you. The quarter's going to be 120 bucks. They're like, ah, it's a little hefty, but uh, what do you got next to it? I go, well, Tim, I'll be honest. I got the same quarter, same exact bud, same exact phenotype, and it's 60 bucks. But this one, you know, you're going to pay that extra $65 because, you know, it's Sharpie Kush instead of the regular Kush. And you see what I mean, Tim? There's there's no difference if, if, if you know, you could trust your bud tender on some of the buds. There's, there's no really no difference between them. It's just that Sharpie Kush got endorsed, and now they're paying him royalties on that product, and they're going to charge a hell of a lot more for it. And that's the industry we live in. We want to be able to use the products that we see the celebrities use, and we want to feel that connection with them, and we want to have the same items they have. And those are nice things, Tim, and I'm not going to tell you no. If you come into my shop and you're sold on it, I'm going to join with you. I'm going to talk about that artist music with you. We're going to have a blast, and I'm going to sell you that product. But if you come in here with me and you tell me, hey, Alejandro, I'm on a budget, man, but I need quality product. I understand that this is just the brand name. What else is just as good? That's where I'll walk you, Tim, and I'll show you good product that you don't have to pay an arm and a leg for. In my conversations with uh, with a lot of consumers here here in Michigan, which has a you know strained gray market sort of thing, we don't have celebrity branded products. We don't have those sort of things. Um, it seems to me that most people are gravitating towards the terpenes and those sort of profiles um, because we don't have that branding. It's not allowed. And, you know, we rely on the bud tender to say, you know, to, 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 we rely on them to give us what we're looking for 
you know, we don't have those options. So I, I think in, in lieu of celebrity branded products, uh, in, in Michigan, we, we have, be, have been forced to become more informed consumers. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's just informing consumer. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, nothing against celebrity brands, but it's not the celebrity going out there growing it. You know, and <laughs> yeah, that's, Tim, that's, 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 that's I didn't, didn't want to like break it like, down like just, that. Let's Tim. just call it. But let's be honest, Sharpie could. I mean, the, the, the rapper Sharpie. He's not bringing anything to the table that the grower didn't already know. He's not adding, he's not, he didn't have the secret sauce, Tim. You know, the rapper Sharpie that we we're using as a, just a name, he's not bringing anything extra to the table. He's not out there growing that product to make sure it's the very best. No. Let's look at the, let's look at that festival that just happened, Tim. What was it? The <laughs> Fire Fest. The Fire Festival. The guy wasn't even there. Who, who was it that hosted John that show? He wasn't even at the festival. It was a complete mess. They're like, this is going to be the best festival. John Rule's hosting it. Blah, blah, blah. He'll be here. She'll be there. You know, it's going to be amazing. It was a complete bust. There was nothing special about it. It was a joke. Tim, this is the same thing with a lot of these products that we see. And not just cannabis, but with a whole wide range of products. I mean, I'm I think you get something fan. better than like a cheese sandwich on white bread, though, right? I mean, for 12 <laughs> grand a ticket, I sure hope so. <laughs> so I want to so, uh, I want to talk to you guys about the, uh, the, the $3,600 cigar. But before we do that, we got to take a short break. This is Gondopreneur.com podcast. I'm T.J. Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of cannabis, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis-friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfall here, the Alejandro Canto owner and Jesse Leach, general manager of Diego Pace here in Washington. So tell me, guys, about the $3,600 cigar. Um, I've seen pictures of it. Um, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not exactly like, like the way that I see it, like I said, you know, earlier, I once helped a guy open a, a head shop that had, you know, $12,000 bongs. I mean, seriously, some of the stuff we had. And so I understand, you know, this, how this industry can drive these sort of like, you know, super luxury items, which is what this is. So, so how'd you guys come up with this thing and what is in it? So, you know, the idea of how we came up with it, we were just kind of brainstorming and just kind of thinking, okay, what hasn't been done and what brings the wow factor? What's just something that when you look at it, you're like, wow, that's ridiculous. And we figured, why not make the world's biggest cannabis cigar? And that's exactly what we aim to do. We collaborated with Goldleaf uh, and Lira Canagars uh, and... Uh, we made it happen, Tim. That's exactly what we did. We made it happen. <laughs> the Canagar is actually an ounce of flour rolled in uh, seven grams of rosin oil and no. seven grams of hash oil and wrapped in cannabis leaves. It's a uh, premium, premium product. So you had an ounce of flour and seven grams of oil in it. It's a truly an outstanding product. Uh that you couldn't find anywhere else. It's a very, very special item. I think Jesse wanted to add something to it. Oh, no. I mean, it was just, it's one of those that it was, you know, help created by um, a couple of guys that are huge in the Washington market. You know, they're known for a premium product. So what better way to help position yourself in this market than to partner up? Well, you're not necessarily partner up. I'm sorry, scratch that. But like uh, team up and help create something that is unique for both parties you know so they had a great product and we happen to be able to sell it so do people come in and like just take pictures of this sort of thing and and you know is it on display tim it sold the one we actually had a special request when we announced that we launched it a gentleman flew in on his private jet to pick it up actually um it, that's how fast it's so when we bring these special one-of-a-kind items tim they usually go immediately. Uh, we try to keep them on the shelf as long as possible. Like this gentleman that bought it, he he wanted it day one. I asked him, hey, can we leave it on the shelf for at least a, a week or two so people can take some photos of it? He said, sure, but I'm picking it up then. I'm not going to wait any longer. I said, okay, at least I give some time for people to check it out because we brought it out on the opening day and it flew. After that, what was it, Just We did a $2,000 meteorite. We did two $2,000 meteorites, Tim. Those things flew just as fast. Killer Mike actually picked one up. Uh, <laughs> a company called Seattle's Pirate Reserve uh, bought it for Killer Mike and gifted it to him and his concert. I was backstage with Killer Mike. We were smoking it. You know, Killer Mike from Run the Jewels. We were smoking it backstage. It was one of the coolest experiences ever. I got to tell you, I love that guy. What an amazing guy. I really like Killer Mike. I got to sit down and learn a little bit about him and uh, uh, and his girl and his and his boy LP and just such a cool team and really cool dudes all around. Uh, I think Jess, you were there with us, weren't you? That meteorite, Tim, it it knocked the shit out of us, man. <laughs> <laughs> that thing had a size of a kite. 
So you, uh, you guess, make these you make these high end offerings often. We do. We we always bring in something that's new that's never been done. Uh, right now, we're developing. We're actually. We're out of our high-end special products right now, and one of our tasks for this week is to finalize the next special item that we're bringing in. The ounce meteorite was an ounce meteorite, exactly that. It was an ounce of flour uh, covered in all types of oils uh, and cured, uh, which it looks like one huge, giant yellow rock, also known as a moon rock, but the meteorite's usually a higher-end version of it. And that's sold for $2,000 as well. So how, how do these products, aside from bringing in, you know, uh, you know, aside from selling and bringing in profit, how, how do they help businesses? Uh, how do they help businesses? The wow factor, Tim. The wow factor. When you walk into the store, you're seeing a wow factor, an item that no one else has seen before unless, unless they've walked into that exact same store. You know, it's not an item that any other store in any state is going to be able to sell. You know, this is an item that takes proper planning and and it takes the proper people and material to make it happen. You know, this isn't something you just put together. This, these are usually items that, uh, again, they haven't been done before. And we're always trying to hit a home run with these. You know, the Grand Slam, bottom of the ninth, World Series kind of situation and how long, uh, it, how long does it take you to develop it and the r&d that goes into it uh i think the canagar i think that was almost what a, a six month uh, process yeah from start to finish six months yeah there's a there's you know you you know the guys who helped us like i said it was lira and you know uh um gold, gold leaf. leaf and uh polar ice tracks that were you know the three companies that came in they you know they had their intellectual property with their canagars they just put it on a grander scale for us to you know really help uh bring up what you know is very simple tactic of a talking point um it's something that you know it's an attention grabber it's something that you know you guys have seen it anybody who sees it they want to talk about it because they've never seen anything of that magnitude before you know especially something that is 100 percent fully legal and sold in a store you know how many people can actually go they're like yeah dude i just bought a blunt that is a full ounce wrapped up in the fan leaves that it was grown on plus it's got you know all the rosin and the keef that are in it as well that sounds crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of work. You know, it, it's some. You know, sometimes you gotta really sit down and think outside of the box. Well, I'm, I'm sure you like botched a couple of attempts of rolling this thing. All right, right? It, like, we're perfect. We're perfect every time. The, the first roll. The first roll. No, no. The Lyra is the ones that uh, you know. They're the ones that actually did it. They've been. You know what they're known for in this market in Colorado, Colorado, in Washington is their canagars. That is what they. Do. They go in and they hand roll everything. So they're the masterminds behind the rolling. So however long it took them to roll it is on them. I don't really know, but there is a long six week cure process just to make sure that that canagar finally uh, is set up and is properly able to be smoked. So let me let me ask you a question. Um, you're from Colorado. And now you're in Washington. What? What trends are you seeing in Washington that might be different from what you were seeing in Colorado? Um, you know, to be honest with you, you're, you're, you're almost going to compare uh, an apple to a tomato. They're both red, but they're still completely different fruits. Um, and, you know, one of the things is is the 
the big difference out here is because of the fact that you have the wholesale market, you breed much bigger competition. And that is where, you know, you'll find some of the finest products in the world out here in Washington, because as a brand, you're trying to set yourself up apart from everybody else, you know, and, you know, it's very simple. It kind of goes back to like shoes. You know, what does, you know, why is Nike better than let's say like airwalks you know it's you got a quality you've got consistency you have a brand that everybody knows and recognizes and they just produce better they just have better stuff and that's what i've noticed is kind of a big difference between here and i'm not saying there isn't great stuff in colorado you know i mean like i said you're, you're it's it's they both have very very similar things but at the end of the day it's just that competition that is bred out here compared to colorado that's what i see and this is coming from a coloradian uh, tim yeah i'm born and raised in colorado <laughs> yeah. I, I am a native i'm still representing the 303 to the day i die you know <laughs> I may be in the 206, but I'm still a 303 at heart. So he came to realize that our weed game down here in Washington is crushing it on. <laughs> so what, what, what like product trends are you guys seeing? Like is, you know, I've read a lot of different reports where some say that, you know, uh, flower sales are down, but oil sales are up and edible sales are up. Is, is that an accurate representation of what you guys are seeing day to day? And flowers still taking well over 60, 65% of the market. When they say flower sales are down, they're down from the 80% they used to be at, where the other yeah. 20% was all concentrates and edibles combined. So uh, what we're seeing is that the market is finally starting to shift into what we always predicted, which was going to be concentrates and edibles to take over. Um, because, as you know, when you have flower, Tim, you're limited into the options that you can do with it. When you have flour, you have two things you can do with it. You could sell it in sizes as one gram, two gram, a quarter, an ounce, whatever, or you could grind it up and turn it into trim. Those are the two options you have with flour, or you can extract it, pull out its essential oils, and now you have an infinite options of what you could do with that product. And once you have that concentrate, you could either refine it, make it into distillate, put it into a vape pen, put it into a, a petty dish so you can maybe dab it later on, put it into an edible, put it into a lotion, put it into a sex loop, etc. There's a million options that you could do that once you extract the essential oils out of the flour. So as the market starts to develop and it gives more opportunities to new people to come in and create new products, we're going to see the line of uh, concentrates, edibles, etc. expand and grow larger in size. My ultimate belief is that oils and concentrates, maybe five, six, seven, eight years down the line, will eventually surpass the sales in flour. I truly believe that the accessibility uh, of these uh, vape cart pens, it's just so easy for the average consumer to screw on, hit a button and go. You don't have to light anything up. There's no carcinogens being burned. There's no bad smell. Uh, and I really think that's gonna be one of the biggest futures for cannabis. Uh, so when you hear that flower sales are down, there's still over 60% of total sales. They're just not 80% anymore. It comes back to the consumer getting educated. You know, that's, yep. that's basically all it comes down to. Um, you know, when you, if, you, if you guys done the research where, if you remember when edibles were first coming out, there was all of these reports. Oh, my God, people are overdosing on this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> They're not. You're just now being educated on how to properly handle this stuff. So finally, guys, 
What's your advice for for entrepreneurs? You know, I mean, again, you know, the, your success, Alejandro, at twenty three, is, you know, once again, I mean, it's one of the most just kind of remarkable stories that I've heard on this podcast. And congratulations again. But so, so, what's your advice? You know, can you share some of the secret sauce that's got you where you've gotten to? Man? <laughs> for sure, Tim. Uh, the sauce is balls and courage. <laughs> I'm kidding, but I'm being pretty honest, man. Like, dude. I was successful, Tim. I was successful in Miami, Florida. I had a successful car dealership. I, I also had a, I'm a state licensed paramedic. I have a great following of my people down there. I had my friends, my family, my girlfriend. Like, what else did I need? And I decided to give that up to go pursue a dream. So to answer your question first, knowledge. Knowledge is the secret sauce to everything. With proper knowledge and applied knowledge, anything's possible. Because if, with knowledge, if you don't apply it, it's not useful. And that's where the second part comes in is balls. You got to apply it. I had a vision, Tim. I had a vision to build an empire. And I said, if I'm ever going to do it, it's now. You know, I had some responsibilities, but nothing too crazy. I didn't really have a wife or kids. It's something that I truly consider to be uh, high responsibilities because my work I, I was, I sold it off. You know, it was my business. I didn't work for somebody. It was my business. So it, it really took balls to make that mental conscious decision to sell everything I had going for me and move through over 3000 miles away to start this journey. Like I said, Tim, when I first jumped, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't what it is today. It wasn't even to be an owner. It was to be a high position of a company, which later ended up uh, uh, turning in, uh, turning out to be that not only am I an owner, but I'm uh, the uh, majority owner of my company now. So it's 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 Tim. It's that little opportunity that came my way. You know that guy in the mailroom that ends up working his way to top CEO of a company. That's basically where I was at, Tim. I've just worked up my way up the ladder. I mean, really, that's kind of where we are at. I mean, just to throw in my own two cents real quick is I started out literally hand rolling hand rolls back in 2009 in Denver. Yeah. And you look at us now, we're sitting here setting up one of the biggest brands in the world. So, you know, it's just all about learning your knowledge and knowing how to apply everything you've learned into this. And that's I mean, that's no long how'd you guys meet each other? Usually. So basically, I guess, long story short, um, I, obviously I was born and raised in Colorado. Um, the owner out there, Neil Demers is actually one of my high school best friends. And, uh, he was, uh, we were just in the industry together. Um, he was presented an opportunity to help with uh, Diego in Colorado. One thing led to another. Um, I ended up becoming the GM for them came out here to help do the initial launch of Seattle. And, uh, I was, uh, really floored by it. One thing just kind of led to another. It turned out to be a nice little holy matrimony. And, uh, we've just been sitting here with the same goals of creating and expanding a brand. And we just kind of hooked linked up and this is kind of where we're at today. Yeah. There was a lot of synergy from day one, Tim. And you know, that's something really interesting about this industry. It brings out a lot of great personalities, uh, uh, and it brings out uh, a, a lot of happiness in people. Uh, there's not many people you'll see working in this industry that are upset or in a bad mood. Uh, usually everyone's got a smile and they're in a good mood. Uh, and when me and Jesse met, there was a lot of synergy there and we were able to capture some of that synergy and progress and expand on it. And that's where we're at today where we're sitting down and designing our next two stores that we're currently building out in Seattle. 
So it, it, again, it's, 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 it's Tim, it's seeing an opportunity and getting out there and getting it. If I could leave one thing with the listeners today is guys, don't be scared to go out and try something new. You know, when I brought this idea to my mom that I'm going to sell my business that I'm most successful netting over six figures before I was even 20 years old to, to go and do cannabis. I mean, she thought I was crazy. She thought I, I, I drank the devil's pill and I was heading down the wrong path. And I was like, mom, hey, this is a vision. And I, I, I love you. I appreciate you. I respect you saying no, but this is something I got to do for myself. I'll, I see the, the end picture of just believe in me and, and uh, it'll be a good ride. And, you know, she ended up doing it after some time. And now she's beyond happy and grateful that I ended up taking this uh, uh, jump. Uh, uh, but like I said, Tim, it's it's when the opportunity presents itself, sometimes it's better to just say yes, even if you don't know how to do it and then later figure it out. And, uh, you know, actually, Richard Branson had a very similar quote just quick. And, and he said something similar to that a couple of years ago. And it was uh, when the right opportunity approaches, take it. Even if you don't know how to uh, uh, how to do it, you'll figure it out. Uh, and that's the one thing I would leave viewers with. When the right opportunity approaches, take it. Don't be scared to say yes. So finally, guys, can you tell us where we can find where the we can find out more about uh, what you guys got going on now and, you know, the couple of upcoming stores you'd mentioned? Uh, yeah, we, we have uh, more stores being built out uh, and just developed now in uh, Seattle, Washington and uh, Colorado, uh, Denver, uh, as well as with the new states coming online. We expect to be in California uh, as well as Vegas in the next couple uh, months. Uh, possibly uh, uh, early, if not mid-2018. We also have current projects in Oregon with a company down there that's looking to rebrand into Diego, as well as a group down in Ohio that's going to be pursuing a license under the Diego Policier name. So we're we're really starting to expand our arms into the other states that uh, we can. Um, But uh, the main thing that we focus on is compliance and legality. Uh, making sure that everything we do is uh, legal and compliant with the state. Uh, what's uh, what website can they find you at? It's wa.diego-haysayer.com. All right, guys. Well, I wanted to thank you for taking the time uh, to be on this podcast. You know, this is a really great conversation. Um, and again, cr- congratulations on all your success. You. And, you know, definitely keep us in the loop on uh on the, on the upcoming stores. Oh, we will. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Sebastiano. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault. Brandfault.